Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves is the podcast that shares insights from behavioral science researchers from the fields of psychology, neuroscience, mathematics, sociology, economics, and anthropology. And then we discuss how that research gets applied in the real world. It's also the podcast where we talk to business and nonprofit leaders about how they are expertly applying behavioral science to their work. Our episodes offer fresh ideas on how the application of behavioral science can improve your work and life. And in this episode, we're sort of mixing both. Right. In this episode, we are sharing a discussion we recorded with Chris Nave, the Associate Director of the Master of Behavioral and Decision Sciences Program at the University of Pennsylvania. We caught up with Chris at the NOBEC conference at UPenn. Uh, NOBEC stands for the Norms and Behavioral Change Conference that his program sponsored for their students, and it brought together some of the brightest researchers in the field. This program is in its third year with 75 students from 12 countries. These students are interested in applying the principles of behavioral science in a variety of fields. They bring insights from their work history in restaurants, fire stations, small businesses, and global corporations. The program that Chris runs emphasizes three core qualities, qualitative, application, and theory. So everyone leaves UPenn with an understanding of what it means to be a behavioral scientist. And all the dots got connected when we realized that Kurt and I were going to be in Philadelphia for our 100th episode celebration at the same time Chris was hosting the Nobeck conference. Chris was generous enough to invite us to attend the conference and to record some conversations with some of the researchers. So this is the keystone episode for that series that we recorded at Nobeck. We have several more episodes to publish that feature interviews with some of the presenters at the conference, psychologists, political scientists, economists, and behavioral researchers that we met there. We are grateful to Chris for being such a generous host and to his colleagues who were generous enough to share their time and their insights. And by the way, we had a great time. Oh, yeah, we did. We should also let you know that occasionally you might hear some background noise. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) It's kind of like that. But we recorded (laughs) these discussions on the outskirts, like in an alcove in the main gathering area. And we just hope it's not distracting. So with that, please sit back with a Nobeck cocktail. Mm. that a mix of all sorts of different concoctions? With and co- just, just a twitch of psychology built just in. Just a twitch <laughs> of psychology. All right, so please sit back with a Nobeck cocktail and enjoy our conversation with Chris Nave. Okay, we are here at the Norms and Behavioral Sciences Workshop. Yes. Right, within the master's program that, that you oversee. Can you give us just an overview of what's happening here? Yeah, so the so this is a NOBEC, Norms of Behavior Change workshop, our second year that we're doing this, and it's bringing together a lot of brilliant academics from all over the world and some practitioners, people in the field doing field research, um, kind of motivated particularly around social norms, so collective behavior change. So we hear a lot about nudges and individual kind of based uh, change, and this is a, a focus on kind of the understudy collective behavior change, norms, social norms, and so bringing people together to better understand kind of the cutting edge work that's that's out there, both in the field and in, in the world, uh, lab, in the lab. Okay, so doesn't that sound like sociology? 
uh, there are elements of sociology in behavioral science which are definitely worth taking care of, you know, um, I'm looking at using some of their frameworks and tools, but um, it's behavioral economics is, is the kind of the main driver. I would say psychology, there's a lot of elements of psychology here as well um, to kind of better understand what's going on. But you're bringing in interdisciplinary components. So you have Absolutely. political scientists, you have other aspects. So what, why bringing in that interdisciplinary component? No one field owns the research and understanding of human behavior and how we make decisions. And so we need to take and sample the best of from all these different disciplines. Um, we often don't talk to each other on a day-to-day -day basis, academics in particular, and we use our own terminologies and words that, that mean the same thing but have different, different words. And, and, um, um, and so being able to come together from all these different worlds and say, oh, well, I actually do that too, and this is what I call it, so that we can better understand behavior um, is super important. We're really all about kind of creating sustainable behavior change is kind of, I think, the ultimate end goal. We, we see uh, what, what I think is particularly interesting is watching a, uh, an economist make a presentation and have a, an anthropologist ask a question and then a political scientist ask a question and then a psychologist ask a question, all still driving around solving the problem. Yeah. But again, with different, different perspectives coming exactly. in, which again can spark some of those ideas, which I was fascinated yesterday. There was a question and I'm like going... I would have never thought of that, and it was because it was a political scientist that was bringing and, yeah. and bringing her perspective into this economic presentation that was there. And going, All right, my background is economics and psychology, so but not political science. And it was fascinating for me. Yeah, I, I think workshops like this and, and kind of the behavioral science movement in general is really really exciting. And I mean, think about it. if if you're if you're a grant agency or a funding agency or you're a company, would you rather pour a lot of money into one specific discipline to solve an approach, or would you rather have teams of people from all different kinds of trainings and backgrounds to better solve a problem? It's such an easier sell to a funding agency or to a business. And and being able to do that kind of walk the walk by bringing people together like that is an um, exciting thing to do. So is that an underlying um, goal of the master's in, in behavioral science? I, I think one of the, the goals is really just kind of um, breaking down those academic silos and making sure that we understand how, how we make decisions and how we can create sustainable behavior change. And th I think the end product of that is we can be um, better informing our policy that, that our policymakers are making. We can, we can save a few dollars in corporations. Um, we can make people's lives a little bit better. And, and if we can do that with an interdisciplinary lens, I think um, you know, we're contributing, uh, we're, we're trying to help. So tell, us a little bit, tell us a little bit about the program. What, what are you, wh who are the people that are coming to the program? Who are the, the people that you have teaching the program? How is, and what are the research kind of areas that you're focused on? Sure. So uh, we're relatively new. We're in our third year. We've had our third cohort of students is with us right now. Um, we have 75 students in this particular cohort, and they're coming from a wow. wide variety of backgrounds. They're coming from 12 different countries from all over the world, yeah. from 15 different academic majors. Anything from, we get, we get a lot of economists, people from economic backgrounds and psychology, but we're getting uh, PPE, uh, uh, homeland security, biomedical engineering. We have firefighters and um, physicians 
kitchens and people opening up restaurants for celebrity chefs in our cohort. The people that <laughs> it's just such a, I'm sorry, that's just like so far. Like you've just really stretched the scope of the universe. With that's right. That. Yeah, we got a little bit of everything. And and again, they they just they want to better understand behavior. They're curious, intellectually curious. They feel maybe that they don't have the skill sets um, needed to better. Um, inform either a company they work for or, or, or better understand the kind of behavior behavior change process. So they might be the ones that are listening to, listening to a lot of podcasts like what you guys are doing or reading a lot of popular books and they're, they're, they have questions and they want to help connect the dots between what they're reading and seeing and so we can help them by providing frameworks. We have them take judgments and decisions classes so they're understanding biases and heuristics. We have them taking norms and nudges classes so they're understanding kind of the, those processes. Uh, we're getting a lot of professional development. Um, we make sure that they're exposed to frameworks that, that a lot of companies out there like Ideas42 and Rare and the Behavioral Insights team have. And, and we're showing them, we're unpacking what they're doing and, and so that they have more of these uh, skill sets in their toolbox to bring forward. We have, a, we have a three components, quantitative, applied, and theoretical. Okay. And we want to make sure that our students are coming well-rounded in all of those. So we're not training our students to become quantitative data scientists, but we want them to have an appreciation for it. We want them to be able to talk about what these data science teams are, and many companies have gone all in on big data. Oh, yeah. Um, we want them to be able to talk about and analyze and maybe show the best graph um, you know how to how best to visualize this. What's the one-page executive summary on all of the rich mounds of data that, that people are sitting on? Even if they're just going to open a celebrity chef restaurant. Oh yeah, that's incredibly <laughs> important for these chefs. No, I'm being sarcastic. But I, I get it. I mean, yeah. you have to do that pretty much in every walk of life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So like the, our, our firefighter example, he wanted to. He was kind of tasked with kind of create additional diversity in his firehouse. Okay. So firehouses. <laughs> are very uh, um, family oriented you know second generation third generation firefighters it's really hard to get diversity in there and so when he was tasked with um, increasing the diversity of his firehouse he felt really inept not able to do so without the right tools and so he started looking around and he found our program and was like wow behavioral science how getting a kind of a lens I might be able to bring back and help design interventions or training programs that might better bring forth a more diverse firefighting unit that's a very noble and unique cause. And so part of my, you know, one of my favorite parts about being um, in this position as an associate director is I get to read their personal statements. Why Penn? Why a Master of Behavioral Decision Science? And there's so many different reasons. You're not reading the same thing every, to make more money. To, you know, you're getting <laughs> a lot of, of a variation in response. And that's, that's really exciting. So... We, we talked a little bit about what the cohort is going to do. Where do you see the role of behavioral science in, in the corporate world or the work world in the coming years? Yeah, so I mean, it's exciting that our program is housed in the School of Arts and Sciences. So we're not just in the business school. We're not just um, uh, evaluating policy in, in, in the policy world. We get to span all these different areas. And so I think that that really helps us try to um, assist in the kind of a foundation of this behavioral science and what it's, what it's meant to do. And so again, at the broad level, trying to understand and implement behavioral change, so interventions, 
everybody is looking um, uh, in, internally and externally. How can we make our company or corporation better? How can we improve the culture and the satisfaction of our employees? How can we run a more efficient um, company? And you may get it through um, an organizational behavior lens or any one specific lens, but having um, behavioral science trained um, students in your co company, they're going to be the bridge between all these different groups in a, in a particular company to better understand um, what's going on. Well, and you talked about you have that three focuses, quantitative, right, application, and then theory. And so in an organization, bringing those data scientists together and figuring out how to actually apply some experimentation based on some good theory bringing all three of those pieces together, I think could be very valuable. Absolutely. Well, we have this, uh, all this research to say that uh, the diversity in teams is, uh, delivers better results. That's right. Yet corporations seem to be behind the curve on this. Uh, I, I'm not seeing a lot of it in, in the corporate world. Are you hearing feedback from, from any of your, your corporate um, you know, colleagues that there is more diversity in teams, that they want more uh, perspectives, that they want more insights from different, uh, you know, disciplines around? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I have yet to have a meeting with, with an executive that, that is, has really not been curious about behavioral science. I mean, I think almost everybody has some, some level of curiosity about it and what it might be able to do. And, and when we talk about things like translating what your data science teams are doing or, or you know, finally utilizing all of that data that you're just sitting on and, and doing something meaningful with it, they get excited. And so um, if, you can, if you can package what behavioral science can do, if you can articulate it effectively, I think um, everyone wants in uh, at some level on, on this. Now, when you get into the structurally, how do you incorporate them in the, in the company? Do you have a behavioral science team? Where does it get located? There's that gap. You get a lot of enthusiasm, and then you have this, now what? And so, and so that's- <laughs> and why is that? Why do you think there's a big gap at that point? I, I think, so I, I was talking with um, Piyush Tantia, the chief innovation officer at Ideas42, and, 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 and we're talking about how behavioral science is still in this wild, wild west phase. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot of people that are fascinated by it or they're calling themselves behavioral scientists when you kind of look under the hood there's not a whole lot of training or or, or benchmarks in place for, for calling yourself behavioral scientist if you read nudge you can call yourself a behavior some people call themselves a behavioral scientist <laughs> <Ouch>. really <laughs> well, tim isn't oh never mind oh, um, <laughs> oh you're looking at me on that one. <laughs> i didn't finish it oh there you go anyway there you go <laughs> so all right so so it's, it's the wild, wild west. Things are going fast. They're going crazy. And so where, so where is it going? Where, where is behavioral science going? Where are, your, where are your students? Where do you think they're going to end up? I mean, a couple years from now with the current cohort that's in here, but five years from now when you get that, that next cohort that's coming through, what are they going to be doing? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and I think that's, that's why it's so important to bring all of these different people together. So, so I think our program and having workshops like this can bring together chief behavioral officers, behavioral innovation directors, people that are in design um, to really share, like, what have they been doing? What's been successful? What's been challenging? 
um, so that we're not reinventing the wheel, wasting a lot of money, time, and resources. Um, currently, our students are going into positions um, of being, becoming strategists and consultants and analysts in a wide variety of fields. They're doing these the Ideas 42 um, you know, kinds of companies. They're doing the big four consulting companies. Yeah. They're, they're going into you know, um, Microsoft and LinkedIn and, and uh, MasterCard and Visa and all these different domains, behavioral finance and health is another big area. Um, I, I think that the, the market is, is really kind of quite explosive for these types of behavioral jobs. What we need to do is be responsible about the growth and make sure that we're, we're sampling um, um, from you know, middle management, upper management, um, from entry level, uh, and kind of bringing people together to, to better figure out how we can be successful in creating interventions and better understanding behavior. Well, and, and to that degree, you're bringing the academic rigor to this, so it isn't somebody who's claiming to be a behavioral scientist because they've read Nudge and or almost finished Nudge. almost finished Nudge <laughs> or host the podcast <laughs> and host the podcast. Hey, hey, hey. hey get a, a, a little close on there. Chris. To that degree, you're bringing that component. Oh, am I saying component again? I'm sorry, folks. Uh, you're bringing that perspective in and saying we are trying to take it from the wild, wild west into something that has some rigor behind it, that has some actual learning and, and as you said, frameworks to apply this in a real world situation that's actually going to drive some efficiencies and some, some ultimately end results. So am I, am I interpreting that correctly? Exactly, exactly. And, and I think with our students coming from so many different backgrounds, watching them kind of proliferate, go all over, and, and really start helping create these, these units and these, um, um, having even this, just having these approaches within the companies is gonna stimulate some interesting conversations. And I think it will ultimately create more behavioral units, um, not just in policy, not just embedded in government, but, but really across the board, which, which is really, really um, well. It's important. been inter interesting for us because we have talked about this. Is, is that we see we see behavior science being um, integrated into government with with these various different units into you know some of the non governmental agencies through Ideas Forty Two, working with all these different places and different things, and even inside of organizations. But it has been mostly consumer focused at, at applying behavioral science and how do we get consumers to you know spend more time on our website and to, to dig and to buy in various different pieces. And we've seen less of it actually being applied internally inside organizations focused in on their employees, where, again, you can take some of these insights and apply behavioral science lens to the, that and say, hey, let's make this workplace more uh, more engaging for our employees because we understand the human dynamics within this. Are, are you seeing anything from that perspective inside of any of the, the work that your, your people are looking to do or that you're hearing companies are wanting? Yeah, I, I think um, you know the the, our, the fact that our program emphasizes a lot the kind of collective behavioral change model, the social norms model. It, it translates really nicely into organization, organizational development. This kind of the structure. If you're talking about inclusivity and diversity at the yeah. workplace, these are topics that you know have been studied, but only through specific lenses, um, or they've been too atheoretical. Yeah. And so I think having somebody like uh, Christina Bikiri, our, our faculty director, who's been studying this 
this in development for so long. She's been going into, into in various countries and trying to understand it through different lenses. Um, but she can now bring that from there into companies and, co and organizations to better understand what's going on there. You know, interventions almost invariably don't work as well as they were originally designed. And, and, and maybe we can do a little bit better by bringing in these diverse components of behavioral science and, and social norms and collective behavior change. And so if we can get a little bit better and strategically by, by having additional tools at our disposal, um, you know, th then um, it, it's a big advantage for everybody. Well, you brought in the firefighter perspective and bringing in that. Uh, talk about diverse. Yeah, diversity cow. component. So I, yeah, I think that's exciting. I think that's where we need to go. I mean, that's my personal opinion, but that's where I think behavioral science needs to push beyond the wild, wild west, but also into looking at things internally within organizations to make work more engaging, inclusive, diverse for all of those various aspects. Yeah. Chris, let's talk about your playlist. You know, we, uh, we, we here at Behavioral Grooves, we always talk about music. <laughs> and uh, so we want to know what, what are you listening to these days? I know that I'm sure that the past couple of weeks have just been crazy getting ready for this conference. But sure. you might still be listening to music. And what are you listening to? Oh boy, we have a four and a half year old at home, and um, so we were very careful in what, what we listen to these days. Um, but we have we have quite an eclectic. So I mean, we we have one of the, no, more know, no more gangster rap around. No more gangster rap around the house. Okay. Yeah, that's that, those days are gone. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, has it been replaced? Acid by metal. Me? We don't have that anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, it's too, too bad. bad, right? Yeah, what, what, baby shark. Is oh, well, that, we, we're thankfully all out of that phase. Congratulations. That's, that's that's great, okay. um, uh, but yeah, with, with a four-year-old boy, we got an eclectic mix, man. We're, we're doing a lot of '80s rock and, and going on here, and uh, The Cure. Our son loves The Cure. He loves. Um, wait, wait, did you say your son loves The Cure? Oh yeah, that's I crazy. Am so, so excited, right? You and your son. Uh, yeah, like, it was a proud moment. That is, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 like air guitars the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the ah. back. Like he'll he'll play Dark Necessities, which is a great. Like, like kind of un oh, it's not even a popular yes, song really and yeah. he loves that thing and so but then he's also he's um He's taking dance right now as a four-year-old. He decided soccer may not be right. He, th he thought that the, the, the girls in the, in the main room were having a lot of fun out there and maybe he's gonna give it a try. And so Great. so his his routine is to um, Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Oh my gosh. And so so, have so it is quite a, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the greatest showman. I mean, my gosh, we're, we're doing it all in, in the Nave household. <laughs> it is funny with kids. I, I remember my, my daughter when she was four or five we would do this thing where they would play, I would play my old iPad on the speaker upstairs and they'd run around and jump on the bed and do all this thing. And it was AFI because it was the first on the playlist and AFI came up and it's like this 80s heavy rock kind of coming but, in But they there. loved it. Oh my gosh. And she yeah. just knows. And, yeah. and to this day, you can put AFI on it. She just kind of gets all jumpy about it. And that's not the music that they listen to. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's we get them trained. That's really. right. That's there right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's, it's been fun um, seeing like music through his eyes, like, yeah. like getting a, that, that level of appreciation. So that's that's something that my dad kind of instilled with me. Like when he would give me some of his um, uh, records and CDs, it would make me listen to the whole thing from beginning to end with a, with a speaker, you know, headphones on. And, uh, you know, that just 
getting appreciation for all different kinds of music and, and, and watching him ask Alexa to put on Vivaldi for the Four Seasons and then <laughs> practice his Miley Cyrus dance routine. It, it's, it's really... And then air I mean, guitar to Red Hot Chili And then Peppers. air guitar to Red Hot yeah. Chili Peppers. We're, no, we're doing something right. <laughs> that's I'd great. say you are. I'd say you're doing a lot right, actually. I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, one other question about music. Music when you work or not? Um, good question. It's pro usually that the transition stage for me. I mean, it's my stress release. Um, uh, it, it's before and after work. It's after work, a long day. Um, not so much during work, I think. I think I have to be in the zone for, for doing some of the things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to really like appreciate, um, I, I have a, a lot of emotional connections to the music. It makes me feel a certain way. And I, that can get in the way from my, my work. So, yeah, it's usually. We, we ask this question a lot, and Tim and I. I, if you listen, we have different perspectives on this. And for, a person, in for, you. for a personal yeah. application. Yeah, personal applications, and I, I do. I listen. So, but it, it, it's like the coffee shop routine. Like some people can get a lot of work done in coffee shops. I'm too busy, fascinated by everything going on around me. Oh, I, I just want to pay attention to it all. And yet like, there is a whole group anything. of people that all they want to do is go to work in a coffee That's, shop. Yeah, and they can get really good work done. I just I can't do it. Which is really well, interesting I, because I, I, I can listen to music <laughs> and work, but I go into a coffee shop and I'm just like... I, Ding Too ding! Much. There's like yeah. somebody, and there's there's somebody's talking behind me, and all of a sudden I'm kind of leaning back, and I want to listen in. What what are they saying? <laughs> and then that you know the person's walking over there, and I it, I can't do that. Oh, I would never wear those shoes. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you might not, but I would. All right. Well, Chris. Thank you. This has been uh, extremely interesting, uh, and I uh, applaud what you guys are doing here because yeah. I think it is, yeah. it is a necessary thing, and I think it's there great is work. that element of moving beyond the wild, wild west and bringing some of this interdisciplinary focus to to behavioral science and really taking that to the next level. So thank you. Yeah, I think the blast. world needed this, and I'm really glad that that UPenn has created it. So, yeah, so yeah, thanks. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and thanks. Yeah, so and just thanks for being on the show. We yeah. really appreciate you taking time. I know with all that you've got going today, this is very kind of you to spend some time with us. We love supporting uh, behavioral grooves and a great podcast and behavioral science. <laughs> well said. All right. <laughs> well, with that, we're we're cutting it off now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Welcome to our grooving session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral groups interview, have a free-flowing discussion, and whatever else comes into our normed and behavioral changed brains. We are a little bit of norming and behavioral change, aren't we? We we are a lot of <laughs> yeah. norming and behavioral change. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was very fascinating to be there. Oh, I loved it. It was I mean, great. I mean, I loved being the dumbest person in the room. It was oh, really my gosh. I, <laughs> No, I, I think I got that honor because <laughs> you've got the PhD, so at least you could you could count yourself among the PhDs in the room, oh, which there were many. There were many, and and just the conversations that were going on at the conference yeah. were just at that that was amazing to me. Again, talking through you know the different applications of some of the research they found, but then you know how the research was being conducted, various different pieces. It was just. It, enthralling, invigorating, and all sorts of other fun It, it abs absolutely was. Words. So so let's focus just a little bit on our conversation with Chris. What was what was one of the takeaways that you had from our conversation with Chris? So, and this is something that we've talked about in the past, but it really hit home with how Chris brought together the, the department that he's working in, right? Right. That it is a cross-disciplinary 
uh, science, that behavioral science isn't a, a tunnel, right? It's not a single uh, emphasis of saying you have to have this type of degree. Behavioral science is broader, yeah. and it brings together people who are focused in on why why we do what we do. It's it's our it's our podcast, right? It's the understanding human behavior. And so when you look at that, that means that you're taking obviously psychologists, you're taking sociologists, social psychologists, you are taking economists, because they're looking at why we do things from that economic perspective. You're looking at anthropologists who study the historic historical part about it. But, you know, they're bringing in all these others, too. Uh, political political scientists. Yeah. Right. Um, right. They had a mathematician. They had, you know, a number of others that were were part of that group. And so it really hit home for me that I think this is not only the way that that we've been thinking about it, but I think it's the way that the the discipline is moving forward. Uh, we got a big dose of this when we were at Carnegie Mellon oh, because yeah. the uh, social and decision sciences department there is filled with astrophysicists, mathematicians, yeah, uh, astrophysicists, astrophys- uh, and as well as economists and psychologists and people like that. And and I love that 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 department specifically has that interdisciplinary mix with that diversity of backgrounds because people like Linda Babcock and George Lowenstein were at the table when the the term behavioral economics was created in 1997. They were, they were literally at the table saying with people like Danny Kahneman and Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein and uh, Colin Cameron, there's, they're actually saying, well, we should call this behavioral economics. And yet today, what we see is that behavioral sciences is much more encompassing than just economic decision making. Right. It's much bigger than that. Uh, the influences on the way that we decide and the way that we behave are much bigger than just a little bit of economics and a little bit of psychology. Which is what I think Chris and the department are trying to do. Absolutely. Here, I mean, obviously, there's a huge focus on social norms within the UPenn oh, department yeah, and various which different things. Mind which, blowing. Which is fascinating to me, but bringing in all of of the different backgrounds and and focuses for the conference, right? But also then in the student body that they are attracting. And all of those different students with the different histories, they talk about the the person who was working in the fire station and, and needed to get, you know, put together a diversity program. And he wanted to bring in the actual science behind how that would work. Uh, or, or the guy that's opening a restaurant for celebrity chefs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, all of these great backgrounds from students who are now going to take that out into the real world, which gets to my second piece of, exactly. of the insight here. For me, at least, it was this idea that behavioral science is a Nancyant kind of discipline to a certain degree. It is relatively new, uh, and yes, it is being applied inside organizations, but it has a long way to go before it gets to scale, before it grows right. into right. this element that people are using it effectively in inside of organizations, not just in the consumer-facing side of organizations. As a nascent field, it is growing. It's growing quickly. It's it's spreading 
it's certainly spreading quickly, but it is still small and needs a lot more attention. And what I love about what what Chris and his program are doing is engaging practitioners, bringing it, bringing these these thought leaders in to train the students to send them back out into the field, right. to send them back into into organizations. Um, and one of the things that that occurred to me is like I can imagine a future at some point in the future, ten years, twenty years in the future, when behavioral science just becomes part of the norm in the way that we talk about. Uh, HR policies, or the way that we talk about marketing campaigns, or uh, or developing user experience, you know, UX type uh, type programs, that the behavioral science will be a core part of our conversation. Right, and I, I loved he had a quote, and I'll probably mess this up, but it's and I think the end product is that we can be better informing our policymakers. Yes. So, yes. So it's not saying that every leader inside the organization needs to be a behavioral science expert, but they have this core group of people who are well informed and educated and understand the science so that they can give informed uh, information and counsel to the right. people who are making the ultimate decision. Yeah, Chris said talking about unpacking the theories for the purpose of uh, helping these students uh, bring these these skill sets uh, in their toolbox when they're at work. Right. Which is really cool. Yeah, so I think all of that tied together really just make this uh, insightful for me. I have a quick musical question for you. Quick? Quick one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when you're on the road, do you listen to music uh, that's different from when you listen, what you listen to at home or the same? No, it's the same. I am a boring, same old. Just the same, same old, old shit. Huh? Well, I, I change up my musical. You know, I don't listen to just one genre, but, yeah. you know, it, I don't like go, ooh, I'm going to listen to jazz now that I'm out on the road, which I don't listen to at home no, either, you know? No. So I don't do that. That's not one of those things that I do. Okay. Yeah. How about yeah, you? Just curious. Do you? I yeah, I feel like there's some liberty that goes along with being on the road that I'll 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 indulge myself because because the the amount of time that I have to spend just listening uh, is sometimes expanded when I'm traveling. Okay, so I'll indulge in listening to. Oh, well, you know, you and I listen to a lot of podcasts when we're on airplanes. Yes. And to be able to sit down and have an hour and a half or two hours or to listen to just podcasts, it's kind of cool. But I also like to do that for music. So do you try to do something local to the area that you're visiting? So in other words... When you go to Nashville, do you listen to Nashville, more Nashville music? As sort of a priming thing? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Do well, you that try would... to find local artists that you listen to? Uh, if I'm going to, if I have planned a show, if I'm going to see some live music in those areas, definitely. Okay. Otherwise, it's just random. It's just random. Yeah. yeah. We're just random folks. That's <laughs> yeah. what happens. All right. Yeah. Okay. So listeners, please stay tuned because after the stinger, we have a new segment that we're doing that summarizes and, and talks about you know, a groove idea for you. So uh, stay tuned for that. And thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Kurt, and this is a summary and groove idea for today's episode with Chris Nave. Chris talked a lot about the program at UPenn and some of the insights he's seen from his time with the program. There are two key takeaways from this. First, behavioral science is really a cross-discipline field. 
It's a field that looks at human behavior and why we do what we do, which crosses many genres. Second, behavioral science is young and its impacts are only starting to be seen in the corporate world. The more programs like UPenn's that are building the skill set and knowledge to integrate these learnings into organizations, the more we will see companies embracing behavioral science. Okay, so now let's talk about your groove idea for the week. What? You don't know what the groove idea is? Well, this is our new segment where we will leave you with a thought, a question, an action for you to explore over the week that we think will help you make a positive difference in your life. Okay, so this week's groove idea. Take a close look at a team that you are on, whether that be at work, in sports, or some other aspect of your life. How much diversity is there on that team? Diversity both in gender and race, but also in age, in background, in knowledge, in perspective. Your groove action is to think what type of diversity would you add to the team that would make it better? So again, what type of diversity would you add to the team to make it better? Think about that uh, and think about how that would impact your team overall. Okay. That's it for this episode. But before I go, I want to let you know that Tim and I produce a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for on Behavioral Grooves that highlights some of our reading suggestions, listening ideas, and of course, some fun behavioral science. It's a short read once a month that might get you thinking or trying something new. So check it out. And as always, if you like these episodes, share them with a friend, leave a review, or give us a big five-star rating. That goes a long, 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 long way in helping us expand this community. With that, thanks for listening.